Today we continue our, our uh, series in Proverbs, and a reminder that Proverbs is a collection, really, of, of, of ancient Israel wisdom. Most of it from the mind of Solomon, but with others as well. And the purpose of Proverbs is to identify the fool, or the fool's folly, to make the simple wise and to affirm the wise in their wisdom, which Proverbs defines as fulfilling or doing the will of God and following the word of God. And what Proverbs does in the end is it drives us to the gospel. Because if you read through Proverbs, you realize how often you and I, we're not the wise person, we're playing the part of the fool. And it reminds us, like the Sermon on the Mount, of how much we need a savior. And by the way, his name is Jesus. May his name be blessed and praised forever. So Proverbs is about the integrating of God's wisdom or faith into every aspect of life. And that's one of the things about Proverbs is that it it doesn't blush away from kind of awkward conversations. We had one a few weeks ago on sex and sexuality, but so many other things that it addresses. And today we are going to look at one of those uh, I'll call, I don't know if it's awkward or not, but it's so, so much a part of our, our life, which is money. Proverbs has a lot to say about money or what it calls riches. So we're going to talk about wisdom and money. I read an interesting statistic that, uh, and I, I didn't uh, count the verses to verify it, but it claims that the Bible says more about money than faith and prayer combined. Jesus spoke more about money than heaven and hell combined. Now you say, well, why would Jesus talk about money so much? And and the skeptic would say, oh, it's because he's after your money. No, the whole earth is the Lord's, right? He He doesn't need anybody's money. But what is Jesus doing? Jesus recognized that money and the human heart always go together. And he's not after our money But I will tell you today, he's after your heart. He is after your heart. And since those two things are so closely linked, to talk about money is also to talk very much about the priorities of the heart. Here's an example of something that Jesus said, Matthew 6. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the key. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts and our treasure are always holding hands. Wherever your heart is, there's your treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. They always go together. And so therefore, we can evaluate, one way of evaluating the quality of our spiritual lives is to honestly assess the quality of our financial lives and the direction of our financial lives. One well-known man said this, Jesus Christ said more about money than any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to man's true character. All through scripture, there is an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles money. So with that said, What does Proverbs say about money? And I'm going to, I have so many Proverbs in this message, 
I'm going to have them on the screen. You can follow along. You write the references down. You'll never have time to look them all up as I'm going, okay? But feel free if you want to. I'm just fair warning. If there's a summary, though, of Proverbs and money, it certainly is Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Okay? So just let that one set on your heart right now. Honor the Lord with your money. Honor the Lord with your riches. Now that may sound challenging here, but you got to realize it's way more challenging back when it was written and to the people that it was written to. This was written in ancient Israel, and in ancient Israel, they didn't have banks like we have. There was nobody with a pension. There were no IRAs. There were no CDs. The Israelites, they didn't even technically own their land because they were required to pass it on to their, to their children eventually in the year of Jubilee. And so they came at that verse from a much different perspective than the vast majority of us who happen to be the richest Christians who've ever lived in, the, in all of human history. Uh, and yet, God says to them, honor me with your money and with the first fruits of all of your increase. The first fruits. What does that mean? Well, the first fruits were the first the first grain of the harvest, the, the first crop of the year. Why is that significant? Well, let me ask you, what are the hardest days financially for most of us? I would say, it's, is it the, the days right after you're paid or the days right before you're paid, right? It's those last days until the paycheck comes, right? To be a farmer, the, your, your paycheck is the harvest. And yet from the first fruits of the harvest, God says, honor me with your wealth. That's kind of a, that's a challenging command, isn't it? You know, my, uh, my family and I, we have, for the last couple months, we have been, uh, we've been watching, because it's now on Amazon Prime, we've been watching uh, the, the episodes of Little House on the Prairie, which I watched when I was a kid. My mom watched all the time. I remember growing up reruns and all that, but I haven't seen them in years. And this is going to call my man card into question, but I will tell you, I, we've probably watched 20 episodes so far. I think I've not cried in one or two of them. Like, I just, I, you know, Charles Ingalls has daughters. I have daughters. You put those together, and I'm like, at the end, I'm just, Aah! So it's true. That is the honest truth. But what, watching these has been very eye-opening to our family because it's a reminder of the precariousness of life at that sort of stage of American history, especially on the, on the, on the, on the pioneer folks. Uh, in, in one episode in, in, in particular, I think it was their first crop. They're not in the, the cabin in the big woods. They're the, on the little house in the prairie. It's their first crop. They're so excited. They're about to harvest. They're just imagining all the things they're going to be able to buy, the amazing things they're going to be able to buy, you know, like butter <laughs> and uh, a fish and, you know, pole or something. And so, uh, and I've learned in Little House on the Prairie, they're always setting you up for some emotional thing in the end. And so, you know, the more they talk about how great the harvest is, the more inside I'm going, uh-oh, right, there's something bad's going to happen. And indeed, huge storm comes, and I think this was true from the original, huge storm comes, massive hail, wipes out the entire crop. And you see them struggle to survive. They barely 
barely survive. And it's to that kind of a scarcity situation that the, the average Israelite was living. Like if any of us went back and lived a week the way that these Israelites lived, we would view the modern-day camping experience as a five-star hotel, right? I mean, they were, they were it was always a struggle to get, to get by. They didn't have all the things that, that we have. And certainly financially, they didn't have the mechanisms of finance that we have. And yet, God says to them, I want you to honor me with the first fruits. Let that sit on your heart a second. Because what does it mean if I honor God with the first fruits of my harvest in that kind of a context? It meant that I was living by faith and trust in God's ability to meet my needs. And of course, the key verse in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. And it kind of always comes back to that, who am I trusting? Am I believing that God is going to do what he said he's going to do? So honor the Lord with your wealth. Let me just ask that basic question to the room right now. How are you doing at honoring God with the wealth and the provisions that he has made available to you? If we were, we're not going to, but let's just say that if if somebody was to look at your bank statement, would they get an idea that you believe in Jesus? If, 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 uh, does the IRS agent who got your 2018 tax refund, or not refund, but your tax uh, bill, is he looking at that and going, hey, everybody, look, it's another Christian. Can they, would, would, would there be enough evidence in your bank statement or your tax bill that you are trusting in God and honoring him with your wealth? These are questions I think that Proverbs is going to ask us, and I'm going to be asking here uh, today. And you might legitimately say, well, and I know here's the thing about when you talk about something like this. We have people here who have honored God their entire life, and you grew up in a sort of context where uh, you did this. And so for you, this is like, you know, this is old news. But we have many, we have new Christians here, we have young people here, we have people, um, you know, maybe new to Uh, a vibrant Christian kind of faith, and this is all new. Like, what do you mean honor God with your money? Like, how do I do that? And this is where Proverbs is so practical about how to do that. And so what I'm doing today is I'm, uh, because there's tons of Proverbs about money, they generally collect around three main categories, okay? Three main categories that I am summarizing today as The generous life, the content life, and the ant life, okay? The ant life. And I'm going to begin with the ant life, okay? What does Proverbs say about this? Well, here are two examples. Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 8 says this, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Here's another one, Proverbs 30. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Consider the ant. What did you hear at church today? I was told to think about the ant. Yes, I want you to think about the ant. Because if you think about ants, what are ants known for? Okay, well, they're pests in the house and, you know, uh, various things. But 
On a positive side, what ants are known for is they are animals or insects of incredible industry. You watch an ant, he's rarely chilling. They take no days off. They are always active. They're always working. At our house, we, for some strange reason, we get these, like overnight, we get these giant ant hills. And it just seems like it springs, it wasn't there when I mowed, you know, three days ago. And now look at this mound, it's here. And to think about those little insects and the amount of work it would take to build this, like, you know, Tower of Babel that I have in my backyard. It's amazing. But that's what ants are known for. They are incredibly industrious, and they are working, and you've probably watched an ant carrying something like four times its size, and you think, wow, the strength of that ant. There is no happier being in all the world than an ant at a picnic, right? They love it, right? There are provisions here. There's work to be done. And what Proverbs urges, and this was touched on previously in the series, in terms of work is that God made us to work. God made us to be people of industry. God made us to be stewards of this and, and, and gardeners in this earth. And out of that, God designed the provisions that we need to come. The principle is, is a simple principle. Paul draws on this in Corinthians. The seed principle. You sow a seed, and something greater than the value of that seed comes from it. Here we are surrounded by cornfields in Indiana. This is the principle all farmers go by. They plant a seed, and that seed is worth whatever it's worth, but out of that they get a, a plant that is worth much more. Now the farmer has to labor, and the farmer prepares, and the farmer waters, and the farmer weeds, and the farmer harvests, and the farmer takes it to market. There's a lot of work that goes into it, but the effect of the labor is that he gets a return on the investment of his work. And Proverbs and the Bible, frankly, are very for this. This is not something man came up with. This is by God's design. Or to say it this way, God provides materially for us through the stewarding of the earth and the natural principle of reaping what you sow. For most of us, that means that we are laboring. And there is a reward that we receive for our labor. We trade our labor, we trade our skills and our gifts for a compensation that comes back to us that meets our needs. Most of us doing that five, six days a week, right? I'm not telling you anything that you don't live with. And this is why, for example, over the course of history, the Christian work ethic has been very well established. Where you have the gospel and where you have Jesus ruling in the thrones of people's hearts, you always find God's people are incredibly hard workers. They are like ants, right? They are industrious. And the net effect of that is that God meets our needs. And we need to realize that this is as much God meeting our needs as a mystery check coming in the mail. Sometimes we pray, oh God, meet our needs. I'm just going gonna, gonna to sit back every day and pray that God would meet my needs and God's in heaven going, get a job. <laughs> we drive by five help wanted signs because we're praying that God's going to meet our needs. No, no. We work for that. And that's why Bethelonians should be the best employees wherever we are found. Because we work hard as unto the Lord. It's an act of worship. It's part of my faith integrated into 
every aspect of my life, including how I work and where I work and what I do and my reputation on the job site. Here's Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, here's the point. The diligence of working in the normal course of things produces not only what we need, but typically more than we need. More than we need. What do we do with the more than we need? And here is where there is this big difference between the fool in Proverbs in what he does with his money and the wise person in Proverbs and what he or she does with her money. Here's Proverbs 21. Precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Here's Proverbs 21 verse 20. This is one maybe I should hand out free candy if you memorize. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend whatever they get. Right now, try not to think of the family member who epitomizes that verse. They get a dollar, they spend a dollar twenty. They get a gift card, it's spent the next day. They want to run to the store as fast as they get it, they got to spend everything they get. Many, many people like that, perhaps sitting next to you right now. No elbows, please. So here's the novel approach to life that wisdom calls for and that Proverbs urges. Live off less than you make. Live off less than you make. Pastor Steve, that's like like un-American. That's not the way that we operate here we are consumers we we buy things and we find value in how many things we have actually here's the reality the average american is carrying six thousand seven hundred and forty one dollars in credit card debt how many people right here in the room truth be told would be utterly embarrassed at what your credit card statement says about whether you are wise or foolish with your money. And I say that, I'm here urging wisdom, of course, and I'm not here to condemn, but I just want to say, don't think your credit card statement is somehow not connected to what you believe about God. In fact, Jesus would say it's a great indication about who your actual God is. Carrying credit card debt is not the ant life. You'll never find an ant with credit card debt, I promise you. So Proverbs would say, cut up the credit card if you can't pay it off month by month and live off less than you make, okay? One thing I like about Proverbs, it's just kind of like real about life and there's just a real statement, okay? So what is the wise alternative? Here's the wise alternative. The Bible urges us, now get this, live off less than you make and save. How's that for a novel thought? Live off less than you make and save. Now, somebody here right now is saying, wait a second, the very Sermon on the Mount that you quoted from earlier, Jesus says to not lay up uh, treasures on earth. Don't hoard treasures on earth. And there is a difference between hoarding 
and saving. Saving is saving money to meet today and tomorrow's reasonable needs. Hoarding is saving way more than any reasonable need could ever require. That's hoarding. But savings is prudent preparation for future needs. Proverbs 13, verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. There's the principle of savings. Right now you're like, you know, you talk to your financial counselor, he says, you're going to need, you know, a million dollars in retirement. And it's like, I can't ever do that, right? It seems like uh, little by little, little by little. I want you to see the Bible does not portray get-rich-quick schemes or any kind of approach to life that depends on some miracle check arriving in the mail. It is not foolish approaches like lotteries and gambling. Put those in the absolutely stupid category. And whenever I've talked about this, or often when I've talked about this, I'll have Christians that'll say, wait a second, gambling's okay, it's just my entertainment money. I mean, I could go to the movies, or I could go to the casino, it doesn't matter, it's all the same. Listen to me, please. That is the absolute foolish use of money. It is completely against a Christian worldview. It is despairing to me to live in this community and to see the negative effects that the casinos and the boats have in real people's lives. How many people have been destroyed by that or placed in a financial situation where they cannot honor God with their wealth? And you think you're above that. No. I read recently they're putting a brand new giant casino on 8094. And they're starting that this year. I'm dismayed by that. Another blight on our community. I hope no Bethelonian has ever seen near any of those places. And if you don't have anything to do with that 50 bucks, we have plenty of need in our benevolence fund. And you get eternal reward for that one. Far better is to be an ant and to save little by little. To do that, you have to live under your income. You have to create margin between your living expenses and your income. And so think like an ant. And that may seem like a daunting task to you right now, but there are ways to get out of debt. And we've had financial peace uh, uh, university classes here, and hopefully we'll have some coming up again. And there are people in our church who've come out of amazing amounts of debt as God has gotten a hold not only of their heart, but of their pocketbook as well. And what a blessing that would be for us to prosper in that way and to not buy into the debt lifestyle we see around us. You know how many credit card uh, letters I get? I don't know about you. It's like every other day, here's some credit card. Oh, sign up. You get this much, blah, blah, blah. Shh, Let's all do that, okay? Be an ant. Think like an ant. It takes discipline. It takes wisdom. But again, when God gets a hold of your heart, he gets a hold of your money as well. Now, you might say, but I don't like thinking about things like this. Like when I get my bank statements, it just sort of freaks me out. And so I have them stacked. I've not opened them. I hope somebody someday will take a look at them. Or when the bills are coming in, I don't know how I'm going to have enough. And I just think if I don't, somehow God's going to meet the need. Okay, that's the way fools think, right? 
Fools, w- simple, and, and, and the wise. We want to be wise here. Here's, what, here's wisdom in Proverbs. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. There's Proverbs urging people to steward and be responsible with the things that God gives to you. Don't put your head in the sand. Be a vigilant steward. You say, what's steward? I came across this definition recently. Stewardship is the active and responsible management of God's creation for God's purposes. And it's only by me looking at my life and, yes, my money as part of me stewarding this to the glory of God that I create margin for saving and generosity. Here's Proverbs 13. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. What is the inheritance that we pass on to our kids? Maybe money. The most important one is a spiritual one. The spiritual legacy we pass on to our kids, which is an opportunity, it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are, that we all have the same opportunity to do that. But if we focus on the finances as our inheritance, we miss an opportunity to use our finances for spiritual ends. I was recently talking with a man who is part of a, a larger family where the patriarch of that family began a company and it's a 10 to $12 billion a year corporation today. The patriarch has died. And I had the opportunity, I asked him, I said, because the family's amazing. You know, typically the, the kids of people of that kind of wealth, they end up like, you know, laced out on drugs and, and a mess. They make a mess of their life. But this family, amazing family. And I asked him, I said, how did the patriarch do that? And he said, you know, he took the family all over the world. But he didn't take them to resorts, and he didn't take them to super nice places. They went on missions trips to Kenya. They went to the hardest places of the world because he wanted his kids to understand they had a responsibility to meet the needs of the world and to use money for spiritual ends. And the fruit of that over the years now, now the the legacy is being shown as those children have become adults and grandparents of their own, they are passing that same kingdom mentality and those kids are all managing the foundation, the fortune. They didn't get the fortune, the fortune went to the foundation and they are managing the the fortune for kingdom purposes. What a legacy that is. Just because you have money doesn't mean you have to bow to it and there's a family that, that didn't. Live the ant life. Make the most of your gifts and talents. Make Make as much money as you legitimately can. Totally fine. Sow your seeds. Work hard. Grow the crops. Save little by little like an ant. You got it? Think like an ant. That's the first. Here's the second. And this might seem uh, paradoxical, but the second thing Proverbs urges is to live the content life. Okay? The content life. Better is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Now, a fattened ox, that was like only the rich people, you know, could eat a fattened ox. That's a sign of luxury and wealth. And do you hear the point that he's making there? Better herbs with love than steak with hate. Better to live in a small little home where everybody loves each other, 
than to live in a sprawling mansion and everybody hates each other. What is he getting at here? Money doesn't buy you happiness. And we hear that, right? And we're like, well, I'd like to give it a try, maybe. Oh, for a week or two to actually find out if love or if money can buy you happiness. Well, we need to listen to what the Bible tells us. Here's Ecclesiastes 5.10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. You know, they asked John Rockefeller, arguably the richest man to ever live, John Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And his reply was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Think of that. If you doubled all the money that you had today, would you be happy? Not if you love money. It won't be enough. I asked one time, I had the opportunity, the richest person I've ever had the opportunity to kind of know personally, one day I asked him uh, the question. I, I, I said, listen, you've made more money than 100 men could make in a lifetime. And I said, I just want to ask you this because I, you know, I'm just wondering on your side, the life that you're living, is it really true that money doesn't make you happy? And he looked at me and he said, it is absolutely true. He said, um, it's one of the top 10 lessons of my whole life. And I just somehow that meant something to me, hearing it from somebody of incredible wealth. Now here's the thing. Money is neutral. Okay? Money is neither good nor bad. It is neutral. It's a means of commerce. What makes money dangerous is the human heart. Because the human heart is naturally dispensed towards loving money. We have that flesh that we've learned about in Romans. And it, it delights in material things. It's forsaken the creator and worshiping created things, Romans 1. And so our hearts very easily love money. Our hearts very easily want to find identity and security in money. Think about it with me a moment. Money is very godlike. God makes promises. Money makes promises. God uh, promises to meet our needs. Money promises to meet our needs. Money provides some of the things that, that God provides. It can provide a kind of identity. It can uh, uh, a value. How much are you worth? Like, and you mean by that financially worth? Money has a, does a lot of things that God does. It does it counterfeit and way worse. But the similarity, the human heart gravitates towards those things. We want worth. We want identity. We want security. God comes along and promises the same things, only in a much different way. But we have to be honest. Even as Christians, we feel this sort of tug inside of us, like a tug of war between security in the things that I have and the possessions that I have and security in who I am in Christ. Because God says, you have worth, but it's, it, it's not worth what you are worth financially. Isn't that wonderful here today? To know that God looks down on this room, and he doesn't look down on our worth based upon what our net financial worth is. He sees us as image bearers. He sees us as objects of his grace. He sees us as uh, re redemptive people by the blood of Jesus. Our finances have 
no bearing on our worth in the eyes of God. That would have been a good place for an amen, I don't know. Money isn't the problem. It's the love of money. Here's Proverbs 28. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Proverbs 15. Greed brings grief to the whole family, but those who hate bribes will live. You know, put a little money on the table, like the reading of Grandma's will, and watch what happens to people that up to that point seem to like each other and cooperate with each other and get along with each other. But now grandma's money is on the table and it's amazing to see what family members will do when money is on the table. I've seen that pastorally. I've seen that in my extended family. I could tell you some stories that would burn your ears from my own extended family. You put money on the table and all of a sudden you discover who loves money. And I'll bet you have stories in your own families, almost all of us would, along this line of how people change. You know, they say people get funny when it comes to money. And that is so very true. Parents, I would encourage you to do your kids a favor and have all of that legally spelled out so maybe they like each other after you're dead. But again, money isn't the problem, it's the love of money. Here's 1 Timothy, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So Proverbs, tell me, if I'm not supposed to be greedy for money, what should I, what should I do? And here's the word, it is contentment. Say the word with me, everybody. Contentment. Okay, contentment. What is contentment? Contentment is acknowledging that I am where I am. Under the hand of God. That God didn't want me to be John D. Rockefeller. God wanted me to be Steve DeWitt. And that I am seeing my life as being under the hand of God and my provisions by the providence of God. And that I am content in my place that God has put me. Here's Proverbs. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. 1 Timothy 6.6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now listen, contentment is not the opposite of um, hard work or stewardship or savings. Contentment is the opposite of greed. Okay? That's important. We work hard. All of us should work hard. Being content doesn't mean we say, I'm, I'm not going to have a job, I'm just going to be content. Okay? No. We work hard. Six days shall you labor, the Bible says. Contentment is me not finding my identity in my worth, not finding my hope in the things that I own. It is me, as a Christian, finding my treasure in Jesus and having him forever, since I don't get to take any of these things with me when I die. I am content in Christ. I'm not looking to money for security or self-worth. Here's a fascinating proverb. Listen to this. It's a prayer. In fact, I think I read it's the only prayer in Proverbs. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. You know what this verse is saying? Make me middle class. That's what it's saying. I'm good with middle class. 
Why am I good with middle class? Because if I was richer than middle class, I might get to the place where I don't even think I need God, which is why it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, as Jesus said. But please don't make me so poor that I am going to be tempted to steal and to do things that also are unpleasing to the Lord. Just put me in the middle somewhere where I got enough for today. I've got my manna for today. I've got my daily bread for today. But I live in faith for my tomorrows by the hand of God. Make me middle class. And by that, I don't mean to say, I hope you know what I'm saying with that. Listen. The very few rich people that I have gotten to know personally, I will tell you what I have observed in the life that they have to live, most of us really would not, most of us couldn't handle it. That's just a fact. Most of us couldn't handle a lot of money. And you say, oh, I think I could, really? Every other day, every distant cousin that you've ever known or not known calling and asking you for money? Sensing from your kids they're looking forward to you dying? I'm not joking. They're viewing your death as a windfall. I had one really rich individual who told me a missionary that he supported came and met with him and dead serious said, I think God wants you to buy me a house. That times a thousand. Every other day, every single ministry in the world and every needy person in the world coming and begging you for money. How's that sound for a quality of life? Again, most of us couldn't handle it, and I think most of us would be surprised how much we didn't like it. I think most of us would become self-absorbed jerks with few friends and very many enemies. That sounds like a great life, doesn't it? Oh, God, make me rich. Maybe not. Here's far better. Finding my value and my security in my relationship with Jesus. Seeing the money that God gives to me as money that I am stewarding, I don't get to keep forever anyway, and to use in ways that would honor God, both in my own needs, the needs of my family, and the needs of the kingdom of God here and around the world. And to invest what God gives to me for heavenly treasure. That's what Jesus got to. Is he said, you know, the money that I spend here, I, don't, it's, I have it and it's gone. I don't get to keep it. But every dollar, every investment I make in the kingdom of God is treasure that I get to keep forever. So where should our investment, our heart really flow towards? So the ant life, the content life, and here's the last one, the generous life. The generous life. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Proverbs 28, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Proverbs 11:25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Okay? The generous life. The opposite of the generous life in Proverbs is the stingy life. This is the man, Proverbs says, who's all, he, you know, he, he has you over to his house, but he's always calculating how much he's spending to feed you. Uh, money is so important to him. He's thinking about it all the time. No, that's, that's the stingy life. That's loving money. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Think of that a second. 
If you were convinced that today there would be more blessings that would come to you emotionally, spiritually, maybe financially, more blessings that would come to you by giving away your money than keeping your money, would most of us not probably approach this differently? I think so. And yet that's what Jesus said. To be happy to give. Now, this summer's VBS, they had an offering every day. And they would announce the results of the offering. And I got out my phone and I videotaped our children responding to the results of the offering. Roll the tape. thing I have been here for over two decades Sunday after Sunday I have never once seen a response to the offering like our children modeled for us happy to give quick story with my daughter I think Awana this last year they had a special offering for something and so our girls have piggy banks, and, and uh, you know, they were going to do the offering. I said, you know what, sweetheart? Daddy will match whatever you decide to give. And she says, really? And so we went up. We got our piggy bank out, and we got all the little coins and everything. And, and she's just like, how about one of these and one of these and one of these and one of these and one of these? I say, hey, whatever you want, sweetheart, we'll do it. Of course, she doesn't know the value of the difference between the coins or anything. Here's a big one. Here's a brown one. Daddy will match it. So she gets done, and I said, okay. And so I go down. Actually, the only change we have, I think, is in the car, so I'm digging through the ashtray, you know, trying to get uh, the, the, the change to, to match. And I come out, and I said, all right, sweetheart, here's the match money, and I put it into the Ziploc with her money. She bursts into tears. I said, what? She goes, I thought you were replacing all the money I gave. <laughs> I said, no, sweetheart, I'm matching it. We're giving all this to the missionaries. No! <laughs> when she thought she was giving, you know, when she was giving away money that would come right back to her, she was very generous with it. <laughs> and yet, isn't that really what we're doing as we give with generosity, is we are, we're giving somebody else's money. We are stewarding the money that God has given to us and investing it in kingdom purposes with a promise that God has made to us that we will be more blessed in giving and we will have heavenly treasure forever. Generous life giving requires us to give the hardest thing that it is for us to give, which is money. 
I sometimes hear people around the church, they say, you know what, we, I give more time and energy to the church. Okay, that's just code for I love money. Because money is the hardest thing for us to give because it's so close to our hearts. But when we give materially, God says that he will honor us for it. Gifts to the poor, gifts to God's work in the world, gifts to church, missionaries, Christian organizations. These are all opportunities for generosity. Okay? And that Proverbs urges that. The generous man is blessed. The stingy man is not. Okay? Now, whenever I talk about money, I, I always feel this burden because I, I can fly at 30,000 feet and everybody sort of leaves with general principles, but it doesn't really give any practical help. And so I heard a pastor friend of mine actually was there as he was speaking on it, and he just kind of really got in the detail on it, and I thought, that was good, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it as well. Like, what does this look like? Okay, what does, what does this look like? And I'd like to give you a starting point approach, okay? And it would be this. Give 10%, save 10%, live on 80%, okay? Now, why, why do I say that? Again, what are the three, the three things Proverbs urges? The ant life, the content life, and the generous life. And you see that even reflected here, right? Give 10%. That's the generous life. And maybe God would call you to more than that. And here, whenever I put up a number like that, it, I get uneasy because the Bible doesn't like give a line like that. God might call you to more of that. And as you mature as a Christian, it could be much, much more than that. But just to say a, a principle in the Bible of, of a tithe is, a, I think, a kind of training wheel sort of thing for us to say, okay, how do I approach this? Here's save 10%. That's the ant life. We all should be saving and creating margin in our life. And then finally, live on the 80%. What, what does that do? That, that helps me live the contented life. I don't have to live on 120% of what I make. That's the American way. I can live on 80% and live a content life. Remember the goal. Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your riches. So I want you just to take a moment and just ask yourself honestly, how well are you honoring the Lord with your wealth? What does your debt, for example, say about your contentment? What does your giving say about your treasuring? What does the secret reality of our financial lives say about the vitality of our spiritual life? You thinking? I'd like to conclude by reminding us that it was Jesus who left the riches of heaven to become poor for us so that through him, we might become rich in the only category that really matters, which is rich unto God with forgiveness, grace, mercy, and eternal life. And in the big picture, that's, that's real wealth. That is the gospel. So all praise be 
to him who gives us riches that moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. The ant life, the content life, and the generous life.